Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden, of course. I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so de- so delighted, so glad that you decided to join us to talk all things about gardening and landscaping. Of course, like we talked about last week, we're at this great transition in the year where we go from summer into fall, and we're going to experience a garden in a whole new way. Of course, many of the things that you were growing in your vegetable garden Once we have that first frost, if they've made it this far, (laughs) they've made it this long. Once we have the first frost, they won't be around for much longer. (laughs) Because, of course, the things we grow in our summer vegetable gardens are going to be plants that like it warm, like it hot. Now, you may have some perennial plants like asparagus, or maybe you're doing some kind of artichoke, Jerusalem artichoke, something like that. But then, of course, when we go into the fall, we've got a whole another group of plants. We talked a few weeks ago about starting your fall vegetables, and it's it's not too late. It's not too late, but, uh, you know, the idea with the, the vegetable garden is we want to get our plants in, get them rooted in, get them growing while the soil is still warm, If you wait till November or later, not many of these plants will do as well as if they had that boost of warmth in the late summer, early fall. Uh, It's just, it gets, once it gets cold, they're going to slow down and not do as well. So be sure that you're using these warm days, still warm. We've got cooler nights and cooler days, right? But still warm enough that plants are going to love it. And of course, many of these cooler crop plants do like it cooler so it is about timing it is about timing uh, when we do our fall gardens and you can check out uh, older episodes and and that episode about fall gardening uh, online at newsoutherngarden.com but today we're going to continue to talk about about your landscapes and your gardens and we're really going into your landscapes into your gardens because this is our Q&A week And of course, that's where we get real specific with questions uh, and answers so that you can be as successful as possible in your own space. We do hope that throughout the month and uh, Saturday by Saturday that we are giving you inspiration, maybe new ideas, uh, new methods and things that you can employ in your gardening practices. But I do know that there are some issues that, that you may have that we don't address until you let us know you've got them. So at the end of the month, the last Saturday of every month, we do go to the mailbox, the mailbag, the inbox, the social medias, <laughs> and our direct messages, I guess, and we answer your questions. So if uh, you have sent us a question in the past, we appreciate it. We thank you for those who have sent it this month. And if you've never sent us a question before, we'd love to hear from you, uh, hear about what you're doing and how you're growing. And of course, it's not all about the failures or the problems. We would love to hear encouraging stories about how much you love your garden, how much you love your landscape. 
But we do have a great lineup of questions today, and super excited. These first two are just amazing questions. Well, they're all good questions. We've always had good questions. You've got good questions, and we hope that we can provide the same kind of answer. So, but they're exciting, and there's some things that um, we haven't talked much about. So, I think that we'll find that pretty encouraging. If you weren't able to get your question in uh, for this week. Uh, or maybe you're new to the program, well, check us out at NewSouthernGarden.com. Go to the Contact Us page, and you can type a message there. We'll get an email. Uh, but you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at New Southern Garden, and you can send us pictures there. Super easy to uh, attach a picture to a message or a video. There's many people who have walked us through their landscape and, of course, are showing us the problems or um, the successes. We probably do hear... I would say we probably hear more problems than we do successes. So we would love to hear what is going good in your landscape. Well, no further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the mailbox, into the mailbag, and we will be here in Cleveland, Georgia. Uh, Frankie in Cleveland says that I'm starting a new flower bed at my house. Should I use weed fabric in my new planting bed before I mulch the beds? Well, Frankie, this is a question that uh, probably you and other folks are curious about. Because, of course, you go into the uh, box store, garden centers, maybe even your local nursery or garden center, and you do see these rolls of this fabric. They call it weed fabric. Geotextiles, that's another name that you could group it under. Um, But the idea behind these weed fabrics, is that they create a blanket on top of the soil that prevents weeds from growing up and through your mulch. Well, that's the intention. But when I actually, when I was studying horticulture at the University of Georgia, uh, this was a project that I took on to do research in to see uh, how, how the modern horticulture research relays this information. And we found that... Uh, In short, the answer to using weed fabrics is no. It's definitely no. In in most cases, I will give you two cases uh, where using weed fabric appears to be beneficial. But in most cases, weed fabric is not beneficial. Uh, This is a case where this situation where you've got uh, these product manufacturers who are trying to sell things. I don't want to use the word snake oil, you know, but maybe. But they're trying to sell things so, you know, they they present these things that seem logical. They seem rational. But in reality, when you test it, when you do scientific research to see if these products work, they don't don't cut the mustard. They really don't do very well. Um, The two cases, well, I don't know. Let, Let me start here. Before I tell you the two cases where we could use it, let's tell you what happens. Whenever you place this fabric on the ground and you put mulch on top, several things can happen. You know, most of the time when we're putting mulch on our plants, we're not removing the old mulch. We're just remulching the old mulch. And if you've been listening to this program for any amount of time, you know that we encourage that because the organic matter that decomposes and decays down below the older layers of mulch from years ago, that is a wonderful source of organic matter that helps to build your soil and thus help feed your plants and and make a nice cozy home for them. But if you have a weed fabric on top of the soil and you are compiling year after year layers of mulch down at the bottom 
right above the fabric is the oldest layer of mulch that is decomposing and decaying. And it just so happens that that layer is a wonderful substrate for plants to grow in. So when weed seed gets brought in, there could be a number of ways that happens. Uh, maybe you inadvertently are dragging weeds across the yard and the fluffy little weed seeds are flying all over the place, landing on the soil uh, or on your mulch beds. Or maybe the wind is blowing them in. Maybe critters are dragging them in somehow. I know that uh, squirrels do bring uh, particularly walnuts and pecans and they'll bury them. But anything that is able to, any weed seed that is able to get on top of your mulch beds, uh, if it makes its way down to that comfortable zone, the year's worth of old rotted mulch, then they will start growing in that. They'll germinate. They'll put their... Uh, little seeds uh, leaves up and stems up and their root will be able to penetrate that weed fabric now your weed fabric has been compromised and you have these tiny holes punctured through because plants roots even though you and i can snap them between two fingers plants roots are quite strong and they're surely strong enough to pop through that thin layer of what we call weed fabric so now you have holes there and then those weeds can take root down below in the real soil and continue to grow. And of course, anytime there is a puncture or there is a cut in that uh, weed fabric, it's very possible. It's very possible that weed seed down below the weed fabric now can penetrate and work their way through those cracks and, and holes that are in the fabric. And so really, if we're using mulch on our beds, the weed fabric does not does not really work for us. Like I said earlier, it doesn't cut the mustard. It doesn't do its job appropriately. It may, it may do its job for a season or two or whatnot. But once that weed fabric becomes compromised by forces of nature, uh, then it's really just a hindrance. It's in the way. Because if you want to plant new plants in that bed, well, what do you have to do? Scrape the mulch back, which we always have to do. But then you have to cut a hole in the fabric. You have to be able to uh, dig in the soil below. And most of the time, you know, our garden beds are changing. So we'll be doing a lot of this digging and, and cutting of the fabric. And now we just have this mess. If weeds are allowed to grow on top of that weed fabric, because they'll surely find a way to survive, then uh, trying to remove the fabric is quite difficult because now you have a bunch of weed roots and the plant roots all mixed in with this fabric. I've gone into some beds where weed fabric had been there for years or uh, decades before trying to create a new space a new garden in that area and trying to pull out pieces and parts of that weed fabric is just a mess now with that being said if we are using that kind of method as far as mulching our beds uh, on top of the soil around the base of the plants uh, then weed fabric below that mulch is not ideal the two situations, the two situations that do seem to be beneficial as far as preventing weeds uh, and the fabric doesn't uh, degrade maybe as, as quickly is if we lay the fabric down on the soil below the plants and we do not cover it. That's situation one. But anytime I mention that to folks, their nose turns up. And of course it would because now you have a beautiful planting bed with this basically ugly, uh, just ugly black blanket across the top. And most people do want to cover their beds with some 
pretty much or some something that's more attractive than a woven fabric or, or maybe a, uh, uh, a spun fabric. But regardless, that will work if you don't cover it. Now, the second situation that the research shows that is beneficial is if we lay the fabric down after we plant underneath the plants and we use pine straw on top of it. But there's a caveat. At the end of the season, the pine straw needs to be raked away, disposed of. You could compost it. You could put it in another area. And fresh pine straw needs to be laid on top. And the concept there is that the pine straw is just a temporary placeholder. If you allow the pine straw to stay on top of the weed fabric year after year and you keep building those layers of, of mulch, of pine straw layers, then you will get that uh, decom decomposed layer, that humus layer that is going to attract seeds to grow in and particularly the weed seeds to grow in. So the key is if you use weed fabric, Frankie, we need to either rake away, or, I'm sorry, let's back up. If you use uh, the weed fabric, Frankie, either don't cover it, keep it exposed, which most people don't go for, or you can come in and you can use pine straw because it's lightweight, easy to move, easy to rake away. Use it for each season, but every year, rake the pine straw off the weed fabric and put more on. That's just more labor. Just more labor, bit more labor intensive. It's going to be a little extra work. But those two situations from the, uh, the uh, research from universities, horticultural programs, recommends weed fabric only in those two situations. But most of the time, you and I don't want to go to the effort of raking away all the mulch, especially if you have large beds or a lot of beds. You got to do something with that. You could like I said, uh, you could compost it, but it's just extra work. So what I like to do in my planting beds is start a bed. I think I've told you this before in the past, but I like to, when I start a new bed, don't even think about planting it. Go ahead and eradicate weeds. We uh, Use a hoe, use, use a rake, use uh, a weed whacker. If you want to use a chemical to spray the weeds, whatever you can do to get rid of those weeds. And if you do all of this in the uh, sort of late summer and fall, you will find that just putting on a thick layer of mulch on top of those weeds is going to suppress most of them, choke them out. And you may let that bed sit for a season uh, I don't always rush when I start a new bed because I'm thinking about it too. I'm thinking, what do I want to do? But if you keep your mulch, uh, if you keep on top of your mulch and uh, dispose of weeds as soon as you can, don't let them go too long, then they'll do just fine. Thanks, Frankie, for your question. When we get back, more questions on the garden on New Southern Garden. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, during the break, I was just thinking about something new that I've been doing in our landscape, really just right off the back porch, and that is to hang a hummingbird feeder and uh, fill it up with the sugar sweetness they love. Now, of course, that's not the only thing they love. That's not the only way to attract hummingbirds, but it does help because we rarely saw hummingbirds at our place until we started this this year, and now... They're everywhere. They're they're coming to the plants. They're coming to the garden. I mean, I, I'm sure they would have come. I'm sure they were there all along. But of course, you got to hang the hummingbird feeder somewhere where you can enjoy it. And off a porch or deck is a great place. Or if you have a sitting area in your garden, you can get a shepherd's hook and hang one there. And they're so simple. They're quite cheap. Uh, there's all different kinds, of course. Just find one that you like. And, uh, you know, we don't use the... Uh, products that are bottled i'm sure there's not much wrong with them uh we just make our own sugar water you know some some folks of course and there may be good research i haven't checked into it say that some of the dyed products the ones that are ready to go and they've got red dye that's not great for them uh but i like to just keep it simple keep it as natural too as possible so i just get a saucepan maybe about a quart saucepan pour water into it and pour a cup of sugar let it boil uh or at least get warm enough to dissolve the sugar. It doesn't really have to boil. Uh, but once that sugar is now turned into sugar or water, you just let it cool off. Be sure to let it cool off. Pour it into your hummingbird feeder, and they will come. They will come. I mean, if you're already growing flowers they love and, and plants that they like, and of course have places for them to rest and maybe maybe some water, a water source for them. But uh, those hummingbird feeders are really handy. And we found, or at least I've found in my space, that we're seeing a lot more of them. Uh, a friend of ours, she sent us a video before that she's been feeding them with hummingbirds. She's got a ton of hummingbird feeders. And let me tell you, I guess the more hummingbird feeders you have, the more hummingbirds you have. Because no joke, in her video, she has a swarm. I don't know, a flock? I don't know. We'll have to look up. Uh, we'll have to look that up during the next break. What a group of hummingbirds is called. But there's just a flock of hummingbirds uh, all over. I mean, 40, 50. You couldn't really even count them. They're, they're zipping by, flying. They look like happy birds. So I hope that we can sort of recreate that in my space, in my place. Because the hummingbirds are nice. And of course, they because they go from flower to flower, they're a good and important pollinator. We tend to think about the bees and the butterflies, but hummingbirds can be a great pollinator too for certain plants. Um, but be sure if you make your own, uh, if you do make your own sugar water, be sure to let it cool off. You know, the hummingbird likes the, the sugar water, but they don't need a hot cup of cocoa. You know, I'm sure by the time they come to it, though, it will be nice and cool. Uh, but don't forget about hummingbirds in your landscape and in your garden. They are beneficial, and of course, we've got those beautiful roots. Ruby throat, uh, ruby throated hummingbirds that uh, are native here, and they're just wonderful. Now, today, of course, on New Southern Garden is Q and A week, so we are answering your questions before the break. We were answering uh, Frankie here, a neighbor in Cleveland. Uh, he's starting some new flower beds, and he's wondering if he should use weed fabric. And of course, we said. 
No. <laughs> Basically, we said no. Uh, as long as you plan to mulch those beds and not remove the mulch, uh, if, if you plan to lay out the weed fabric and not cover it, it will be okay. It will work. It will suppress weeds. But if we start piling mulch on top uh, and we never remove the mulch, then we build up the organic matter on top of that weed fabric and weeds can grow in that. And then once they get a foothold, they'll puncture and drill right through their strong roots will drill right through the fabric and it's just a mess so really frankie don't worry about the weed fabrics but carrie is in north georgia she's somewhere nearby and she's got a great question uh carrie says i'd like to add new perennials to my landscape it's a wonderful thing to do uh, she says can i start perennials from seed or do i have to buy them from a nursery all right, let's see. Which question should we answer first? Sort of two questions. Should you buy your perennials from a nursery? Yes, you should buy your perennials from a nursery because I'm sure the nursery people, especially your local folks, they will appreciate you for it. But really, you don't have to buy every plant in your landscape from the nursery. Carrie, you surely can start perennials from seed. Now, a lot of times we are propagating, particularly in plant nurseries and in the horticulture business, we are growing plants from cuttings or maybe grafting in some trees and shrubs or whatnot. Um, but you can start perennials from seed. That's what the seed is there for. The seed, the, the plant produces seed just like humans have babies to reproduce. And so that's the main way in nature that all living creatures uh, produce is by having um, uh, seed of some kind. And so with that in mind, Carrie, you you definitely should start be making a list of some perennials you want to grow from seed and maybe do a little bit of research. Uh, a lot of perennials are super easy to start from seed. It's a no-brainer thing. If you are buying seed... You know, a lot of times we'll see the seed packets available in our um, farm stores, our tractor stores, our um, maybe garden centers. It, we'll see those in the spring. And a lot of those perennials, can you can take those seeds right out of the packets and sow them out in the spring and do just fine. But some perennials take a little more investment, a little more time. You see, some perennials have adapted in such a way that their seed stays dormant for some period of time, um, until certain stimulus or certain things have happened to the seed, until, uh, until those things have happened, the seed may not be able to germinate. Now, we call this seed dormancy. You see, the, uh, when a seed is being formed and becoming mature, there's certain chemical signals, like hormones in a way, that are telling the seed to not start growing yet. Because a lot of plants don't drop their seed until the end of summer. And, you know, plants don't know this, but they do respond to certain stimulus. They do respond to certain conditions. So over time, of course, this is what science tells us, but over time the plants have adapted in such a way that their seed can be dormant. It can be, a, be asleep, essentially. The seed can go to sleep until conditions have been met and conditions are favorable. So a lot of, especially uh, native plants, a lot of native plants, their seed dormancy isn't broken until that seed has been through a certain amount of cold weather and, and, and maybe a certain amount of moisture or almost like time even. And so 
with certain perennials, depending on what you're growing, you may want to check on its requirements in order to break that seed dormancy. That's the first step, really. But for many common garden plants, most will just germinate when you sow them. Now, sowing many right now is not ideal because we are getting closer and closer to the first frost, Carrie. So with a first frost, if you were able to get a seed to germinate and start growing, it would need to be protected a bit uh, through the first frost maybe. Now, perennials, the idea of perennials is that they are hardy plants. And of course, hardy plants, it it literally means that they can handle our cold winter weather. But when you're talking about a plant that is just new to the world, a plant that has just been birthed, (laughs) has just germinated and started to grow, those plants still need a bit of protection because they're so little, their root system's not developed yet. I have failed many times, Carrie, when I have grown a crop of perennials from seed too late in the year and I didn't properly protect them, maybe bringing them into a cold frame under a, a greenhouse or even like indoors for a bit, um, you're, you, you don't want to s- let them stay indoors all winter per se. They need to slowly be acclimated, but uh, you don't want them to be through the full brunt and force of winter. All of my plants failed that I started too late. I really didn't uh, get them sown early enough and didn't protect them and they died. Now, if it was a big a teenager plant or a big adult plant, it would have no problem because they're perennial plants. But when we're sowing perennials from seed, uh, it's kind of late right now. But in the spring, as soon as spring gets going, there are many things that you can do. And remember how I mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier that some of these plants, some of these seeds rather, they need to break that dormancy period. And so using fall and winter Uh, to get that dormancy broken is critical and i know we're coming up on a break so uh, we've got to step away for just a second but when we get back i'll continue to answer carrie i'll answer your question about growing perennials from seed especially those that have that long seed dormancy and how we can use winter weather to our benefit hang on tight Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So, gang, uh, we've been having a good time over the break because I, I mentioned that we were going to look up the name of a group of hummingbirds. And I didn't think we'd be disappointed, and we're not disappointed. Uh, before we get to that, there are over 330 species of hummingbirds in North and South America. But what is a flock of hum- hummingbirds known as? Well, here's some names. A charm. A charm of hummingbirds. Or a bouquet. That's nice. A bouquet of hummingbirds. A glittering of hummingbirds. Especially those ruby throats. Oh, yeah, the ruby throats. A glittering of ruby-throated hummingbirds. That's nice. How about a hover? A hover of hummingbirds is a collective group of hummingbirds. A couple more. A shimmer and a tune. 
I think that last one is probably most appropriate. Because if we had a large group of hummingbirds swing by our place, I'm sure we would hear a lovely tune. Uh, Maybe we'll go with that one. Or glittering. Glittering of hummingbirds. I told you, we were not disappointed when we looked up the name of what a group of hummingbirds is called. And you can attract them to your landscape, both, of course, with hummingbird feeders. But I'm sure, like you and me, they would love real food, not just sugar food. (laughs) I don't know. I like sugar food. But they would love flowers. And looking for flowers is exactly what Carrie in North Georgia is looking to do. Of course, today is our Q&A week here on New Southern Gardens, so we are in the middle of answering Carrie's question about growing perennials from seed. Carrie wants to know, does she have to buy all of her plants from a nursery, all of her perennials from a nursery, or can she grow them from seed? You surely can buy them. Uh, sorry, you can surely buy them from a nursery. And like I said earlier, your local nursery folks will love you because they can feed their children. But um, of course, you can grow perennials from seed. We really do it all the time in the nursery business um there are plenty of plenty of perennials that are generated from seed even though a lot maybe most are grown asexually by making cuttings or dividing the plant and these two are things you can do um before the break though we were talking about how some seed have a dormancy that needs to be broken and a dormancy in short is a a slumber it is a sleep it is a hibernation the seed is just hanging out waiting to grow is waiting for good conditions or certain conditions to be met before it signals that now is a good time because if the seeds were ready to germinate at the end of summer Going into fall, they would grow and then a a hard frost would come, maybe a freeze in some areas, and it would just kill those baby plants. So we have to be prepared when we're growing perennials from seed to be be prepared to, uh, to break that seed dormancy. And the unfortunate thing is most seeds are different. Most seeds are different. So temperature is, it can be one thing. Uh, we need to have a period for some seed. We call it stratification, which means a, usually a cool period, but then it may need to be followed by a warm period, and in some cases followed by another cool period before you get a final warm period where the seed will start growing. Uh, another thing is most of the time with us trying to stratify these perennial seeds, we also need to have moisture. You know, taking a seed packet or if you're collecting seed from your landscape, we'll talk more about that in a second. But if you are saving seed, say you found a few perennial plants you just love, you want more of them and you save their seed. Just putting those seeds in a refrigerator in a bag may not be enough. Usually when we're trying to stratify these seeds, we can uh, put them in some peat moss that is dampened, moist, not wet, We don't need it to be too wet or those seed might rot, but moist peat moss, some kind of moist substrate that then we can put in a refrigerator and cool off for a few months before we bring them out and sow them in the spring when the weather is much nicer. Now, a refrigerator is helpful, and if you have some seeds that you're trying to stratify in the summer, you can't leave them outside because it's too hot, so you can use a refrigerator then. But using the cool weather that we get over winter is really most natural, and it's it's plentiful. You don't have to. My wife gets upset, folks, when I put my seeds in the refrigerator with wet peat moss. 
Okay, I know that that that's not a great thing to do if you're trying to uh, have a happy matrimony. So using uh, those seeds and putting those seeds outside over winter to get that cold period is what I've pretty much had to do because of my wife. But um, anyhow, all we would do is about this time of year, sow your seeds. I mean, you could even wait till October when we maybe have our first frost, sow them onto a tray or some pots with some peat moss or potting mix, moisten them, uh, put them in a space where they're not going to get a lot of excess water. But if you need to monitor them, uh, put them under a place where you are going to do all the watering. Uh, We don't want to keep these seeds too wet over winter. We want to make sure they're moist, but not too wet. And then, of course, once winter is over and spring is here, wherever you sowed those seeds, whether it's in a pot or directly on the ground, you should start to see some activity. You should start to see those first seed leaves, those cotyledons pop pop up. And then from there, because it's springtime, those seeds will continue to grow. And most perennials will grow pretty quickly. As a matter of fact, a lot of the perennials that I've grown from seed, they flower by the end of that summer or really before the end of summer. So growing your own perennials from seed is a wonderful thing to do. uh, And you just have to do a little bit of research maybe. Uh, Let me give you a short list, just a really short list, Carrie, of some perennials that relatively you don't have to worry about that seed dormancy. You don't have to worry too much about breaking that seed dormancy and doing all this over winter. But in springtime, When spring first gets here and we've got, you know, a couple of weeks of of nice spring weather, we're not going to have any more frost, Um, you can start them outside. So things like Achillea or Yarrow, those are super ready to germinate, and they do. We have sowed trays of Yarrow at the nursery from seed and have had almost complete success with every tray that we've done. The same with daisy, Shasta daisy in particular. There are a number of Shasta daisies. I know we've talked about these before in the spring or early summer, and you can find that episode on Shasta daisy at NewSouthernGarden.com or your favorite podcasting app. But Shasta daisy germinates well in the spring without any kind of treatment over winter. Um, And then, of course, you have salvias, they are a really warm, loving plant. They, they don't really do much until it starts to get warm, but those seeds have been very easy to grow. Salvias and cat mints. Uh, we've done a number of cat mints from seed as well and getting great success. Uh, coneflowers. Now, coneflowers, they're not necessarily tricky, but they can be finicky. We've done coneflowers in the spring and had decent success, but they technically require a cold period. So if you're doing something like coneflower carry, go ahead and sow those seeds now. Moisten them. You could put them directly in your garden beds, create a nice little seed bed for them, or you could just do them in pots. Leave those pots in the elements uh, where they can get uh, kind of that natural winter weather. Uh, And sure enough, by springtime, when the weather warms, they will grow up. So that's a good project to, you know, do with kids too, is if you're looking to do something in the garden with kids now, and you're not necessarily going to have vegetables, and you're not growing those, uh, or you've already done all your vegetables, you could do some of these perennials that require a cold stratification, and it will be sort of a surprise for them, because all winter, when they go check on their seed babies, there's not going to be anything there. But then come the warm weather in the spring and the kids are just amazed because now you've got a a baby plant 
ready to go. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Here's here, here's another one. Let's just talk about black-eyed Susan. Black-eyed Susan or rutabecchias. Uh, there's a number of species that you could be growing in your gardens. The rutabecchia fulgida is a very good, dependable um, perennial. Uh, the rutabecchia herta. I wouldn't necessarily worry about it unless you plan to replace those plants or allow those plants to just reseed every year because they're basically annual. But the uh, Goldstrom is, is a good rutabecchia that its seed is, is truly perennial plant. And its seed will, if you have some of these rutabecchias, you already know that they naturally produce an abundance of seeds. So they're ready to go uh, all the time too. But yes, growing perennials from seed is an essential thing for gardeners to be doing because we've been doing it for a long time. There's one caveat that we should mention before we finish a discussion on growing plants from seed is that if you are trying to uh, say you have one perennial plant in your landscape that you just love and you want to save the seed, if you save those seeds and sow them out, the new plants may or may not look like their mother. And this is the case of genetic variation. The fact that these seedling, uh, these seedlings have been produced from propagation, uh, sexual propagation, where you have pollen and uh, an ovary and all the fertilization that goes on. Uh, that's the mixing up of genes, which is critical to getting new and different plants. But if you are looking to get identical plants to a particular one you have, then it's best to do uh, cuttings or division, something asexual that doesn't involve the sowing of seed. But for me, when I'm sowing seed, I actually hope, I'm really hoping that the children are going to look much different than their mother. Because if you, uh, you may strike gold, you may have a seedling out of a group of seedlings that grows up and looks more beautiful richer color, different color, bigger blooms, uh, maybe more blooms, maybe a shorter plant that's more compact, you may actually hit gold and find a new potential variety of plant. And all of those plants you see in the nurseries that have names uh, like Becky, let's do Becky Shasta Daisy or Alaska Shasta Daisy or Silver Princess Shasta Daisy. All of those have different uh, characteristics. And you might, by sowing your own perennials from seed, you very well might strike gold in that you find a new plant that's never been seen before. And if you start growing that, and people are surely going to want a cutting or they're going to want a slip of it and they're going to want to grow it because uh, I think that growing perennials from seed it's not only fun but it's exciting in the fact that you never know what color that flower might be you never know what size leaf that might be or maybe there's variegation here's another example of us uh, growing things from seed and finding wonderful things so we grew some dahlias from seed this year about 500 seed we sowed i think we got maybe 300 to really make it so we planted about 300 out and we have gotten so many different colors of flowers we've gotten so many different styles of flowers really loose frilly flowers like a cactus style we have some big round globe flowers are really attractive but then some of the plants have a bit of variegation on their foliage and that in itself a variegated foliage might be one reason why you would want to keep that plant and continue to grow it and so I just wanted to mention that Carrie that when you are sowing seed uh, 
of any kind, but for this discussion, when you're sowing perennial plant seed, just know that every plant might be a little different. I mentioned that we did some of the Achillea, and I've grown some of the, the yarrow uh, this year, actually, and so far, uh, the plants that have bloomed, every one of them is a different shade of pink or white or nearly purple, uh, red even, and I think that it's a beautiful thing because then you can select that one plant that you really think is outstanding or group of plants you think are outstanding and you can divide those or you can make cuttings from those and you can form a whole group of that brand new color, uh, whatever that may be. So um, don't let the fact that your seedlings might all be different. Stop you from growing perennials from seed. It's a wonderful thing to do. It's a way to increase the size of your plantings in your garden, and it's fairly cheap. You can either save seed and sow them, or you can buy seed, and it's just a few dollars a pack. When we get back from this break, more of your questions on New Southern Garden, and I'm going to give you answers to them. So uh, hang on tight to this break. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we of course are answering your questions. This is the last Saturday of the month, the month of September. We are ready and anticipating October. It's it's tomorrow. So with that being said, of course, we have answered some questions already. And you know me, I never have time to get to them all because I'm quite long-winded. But we answered Frankie's question here in Cleveland about using weed fabric. And we've talked about Carrie's question who's here in North Georgia, about starting perennials from seed. I think you should. I think we all should. I love doing it, and uh, I think you will too, because you will find all kinds of new plants uh, just by starting them from seed. You never know what color you're going to get. You never know what kind of bloom you're going to have. But now we need to turn our attention a little south of here in Atlanta. Uh, Ross is writing to us. He says, I need to do some drastic pruning. In my landscape, am I okay to prune things like hydrangea, gardenia, crepe myrtle, etc. right now? Uh, So, Ross, we appreciate that question, and I'm really glad that you you sent that in because this is super timely. A lot of times we think that fall is pruning season. I've even heard people say, fall is the best time to prune. It's pruning season. But, you know, you see the landscapers doing it in the fall and winter, uh, they may even think that it's the best time, but it's not really the best time to do drastic pruning. Uh, before we get into that detailed conversation about why it's not good to do drastic pruning, uh, I will say that if you need to shape something lightly, if you need to deadhead plants, remove you know spent flowers, that's not a big deal. But 
what the research shows about pruning is that we need to be pruning our plants or rather the best time to prune our plants is when the plant is actively growing. Now your plant is actively growing now, but it's in this strange sort of limbo period where yes, it's growing new roots. It's not really putting out new leaves. It's not really putting out many new stems because as the light changes, as uh, the, the temperatures start to cool off, all of these fall signals tell the plant to start storing start storing nutrition for winter so instead of putting out new leaves and new branches they're actually taking stuff out of the leaves and putting them into the roots and into the stems into the storage areas it's just like my grandparents did when they grew their summer gardens they would uh, can and freeze preserve the food so that they would have it to eat over winter right now we just have Kroger and Publix, but uh, anyhow, um, so these plants are doing the same thing. They know that they're going to be in their dormant period where they're not growing. So we're on the tail end of this growing uh, period, if you will, um, active growing period. They're really transitioning into storage mode before they go to sleep. Now, the reason that we find that pruning plants while they're actively growing is is most uh, most dependable is, is the best thing to do is because when we prune a plant we're actually wounding the plant we are we're making an incision whether I mean, we don't use a scalpel we don't use a laser surgery like they do in the hospitals right but we're making a wound and we are using uh, pruning shears saws uh, whatnot to do these things and that fresh wound is super susceptible to rot, to disease, to decay. And so what we want to do when we wound a plant is we want to do it at the right time so that the plant has plenty of time to heal that wound. Plants are wonderful healers. Just like if you and I get a cut on our skin, uh, you know, two weeks later, you probably can't even tell, depending on how bad the cut was, you can't even tell the cut was there. Well, plants do the same kind of healing, just in a different way. But they don't do much healing over winter. They don't do much healing when they're in that transition mode to go into their dormant period. So... When we prune our plants, particularly when we drastically prune, if we're pruning nearly every tip on the shrub, if we're cutting the shrub in half, if we're going to crepe murder our crepe myrtles and chop them down to 12 foot tall or 8 foot tall and let them regrow, it's best to do all that in the very latest of winter to early spring. That's the earliest that we want to get going. Because at that time, when leaves on the trees first start to emerge, that is the beginning of our pruning season. And really, the last day for our pruning season should be about six weeks before our first frost. Now, Depending on where you're listening and what zone you may be in, uh, your first frost may be different. But historically, and, and I think they, the USDA has pushed this out a bit, I think now parts of North Georgia, you know, used to be in October 15th was the average first frost. Now it's more like November or something. But we are not really within that six-week band. We're really down to either two or four weeks away from a first frost. So by pruning drastically now, you're only giving your plants four weeks to try to heal. And that's really not enough time. Six weeks, 
Eight weeks would be much better, but at least six weeks before the first frost. So I like to say Labor Day. And that was, well, about a month ago now. So Labor Day is really the last day to prune. Ideally, our pruning season runs from late winter, say, uh, could be end of March to the 1st of September. That would be a comfortable period. And that's plenty of months to do most of the pruning. But I know that, Ross, you're probably looking at your landscape thinking, well, I really should have done this before because now I got to look at this all winter, you know. So this is just coming from the uh, scientific research side of things. Does that mean that if you chop your crepe myrtle down to eight feet tall and remove all of the height, that that crepe myrtle is going to die over winter? Probably not. But by pruning it now and that wound not healing, that wound will be open for months. And there is potential, there's a possibility, that over the, the winter months that that open wound could be uh, not just susceptible to pathogens like disease, bacteria, fungus, but it could also, uh, water could seep into the wound. And when we have a freeze over winter, that frozen water just shatters and causes damage. And then, of course, the rot may set in after that. And so ideally, Ross, to answer your question in short, hydrangeas, gardenias, most of our landscape plants, really too late to do drastic pruning. And you might actually set them back because they are in storage mode by removing a lot of the plant material. They don't have the ability to store that now. If you leave the stems and the leaves on uh, through winter and particularly through this period where they're pulling from the leaves and putting that nutrition and extra water into the storage areas like roots, if you let those leaves stay on, then the plant will be happier and healthier going into uh, the spring. So be sure you're not doing drastic pruning. If you need to do a little snipping, a little tucking, whatever, that would be okay. But I do want you to know that because you're creating a wound that may not heal for months, you might be opening that plant to certain problems. So great question, Ross, because of course I see landscapers doing all kind of pruning over winter. I know we're about to be done with the show, but I will say this. Why do we see landscapers doing their pruning over winter and whatnot? Well, it's basically, it's basically because they have nothing else to do. All of the grass, all of the grass that they were mowing in summer doesn't need to be mowed, so they have time on their hands to do their pruning. Well, thank you, gang, for joining us for New Southern Garden. Of course, my name is Nathan Wilson, and for WRWH and New Southern Garden, I hope you have a great weekend. Stay well and grow well, and let's grow more. Let's grow more. Let's just do more stuff in the landscape. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.